Hi, I'm Nolan Cleary, award-winning journalist and host of the hit podcast, Politics Weekly. I'm here to tell you about my new website, nolancleary.com. It's full of political analyses, a link to my podcast, and predictions for upcoming elections. If you want to know everything there is to know about upcoming elections, go to nolancleary.com right now. Hey everyone, welcome to Politics Weekly. Politics Weekly is a weekly nonpartisan podcast featuring some of the biggest names in politics and portraying some of the biggest political stories of the week through both left and right leaning lenses. Hosted by award winning journalist Nolan Cleary, the former editor in chief of the Hudsonian newspaper, Politics Weekly has been listened to by over 15,000 people worldwide. The views expressed by guests on our show are not necessarily the views expressed by the host, Nolan Cleary. One. All right, everyone, welcome back to Politics Weekly. I'm your host, as always, uh, Nolan Cleary. Uh, Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, He is a candidate for president of the United States in 2024, running as a Republican, and he is the former mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, Steve Laffey. Thank you for joining me. Nolan, thanks for getting a hold of me today. It, uh, I appreciate it. It's really great yeah. to be on. You have a great website and, and do serious. <laughs> so I'm happy. Appreciate it. Uh, so uh, the first question I have for you, this is really the uh, first question I have for any candidate that comes on. It's the famous 1980 Ted Kennedy question, which is, why do you want to be president? And I hope I don't fumble it like him. I watched <laughs> it as a kid. Listen, in all, in all seriousness, I am running because the country, at least since... Newt Gingrich and Bill Clinton did welfare reform. The country of America, my country, your country, has not directly confronted its problems. And quite frankly, it's all I know how to do. If you look me up, I go after problems and I fix them. Well, we can get into that if you want. But I seem to be uniquely positioned as somebody who, take an issue, healthcare. I've got a daughter who's had eight years of stage four cancer. I've watched five to seven million dollars of bills cross my desk. I've, I have six children. I, I, I've watched this healthcare process and only because I knew how to get best practices because of who I am, not because my father wouldn't have been able as a toolmaker, because of my advantages, I was able to get the best care, but not everybody can. I've been to children's hospitals. My wife's lived there for years. I mean, she has PTSD over someone cuts a finger now. So I've watched people struggle. We know how people go bankrupt. Number one, healthcare. Take another issue like education. I've got six children. I've educated them in Montessori, a a private, public. I personally homeschooled the three last children, homeschooled them instead of running for office. That's why you haven't heard of me for eight and a half years. I've I've been actually with these kids. Um, I taught the top finance course at the University of Rhode Island. I, I dealt with school committees, antagonistic school committees directly, right? So my background is unique, but yet 
what I've done in my life seems to surpass what the other people are doing who are running. I mean, they, I mean, they don't even have, they don't even want to talk about the issues. I mean, Nikki Haley announced today her website says, "Give me money," a four minute into a talk with more platitudes. She's only missing things like, "We need a chicken in every pot." I know I don't mean to make light of it, but here's the question for you and your listeners: When I leave, and you go to my website, stevelaffy.com, and someone else comes on and you say, "How do you fix Social Security?" and they say, "I'm not going to touch it." like Donald Trump or Speaker McCarthy, or they don't simply have an answer, they'll take a look at it. You have to ask, why are they here? Because the number one real reason that I'm doing this is the intergenerational taking and stealing from young people. And I'm going to make sure it stops. You look at any issue, like Social Security, $61 trillion in arrears. Go to stevelaffey.com. Look at my solution, which is not even mine. As I like to tell people, I'm not Alexander Graham Bell. I'm unfortunately not an inventor. I'm a financial expert. We have a financial crisis. I take the best practices and put the best people in the best positions. I have a skill set for that. Other people running seemingly don't, just the way it is, or at least the ones who have announced. Some people might. I, if they do, I'll say so. But we need a financial expert for this financial crisis. You know, Donald Trump is a builder. He's he's really not a businessman. He's a He's a successful builder. And if we need more tall buildings to be built, we will call him. But we don't need $8 trillion of deficits in four years when we Republicans went totally after Barack Obama for $8 trillion in eight years. So what's happened to my Republican Party is a disaster. In fact, I'm an author through Penguin Books of a, of a very well-received book about politics. I'm a filmmaker fixing America. And I'll give you one last reason people should take a real serious look. There's been nobody in the United States of America, who could possibly run for president, who's been more right than me. I said in 2005, we shouldn't be trading with China. Everybody else said, there'll be a democracy. <laughs> and by the way, on its face, that was a lie. And everybody knew it was a lie. But I said something different. I've been saying that we cannot fix the public schools for 17 years. And I'm right. What's happened in 17 years? Can anybody listening name all the Department of Education heads under different presidents? Of course not. You can't remember the last one. They did nothing. They talk. So in the end, I'm driving down the Laffey Lane, which is directly confronting problems with complete solutions that many people won't like. And when I talk about fixing things, some people undoubtedly will get less. But that hard truth worked in Cranston when there was a crisis. And I believe that the crisis is right in front of your face. And I am the right man to take this on because if people, you can look me, anybody look me up. I, don't, I mince no words. I figuratively slap you in the head with solutions. I, I tear at the solutions till I get my way. And when I get into these debates and I turn to the people with no clothes and I say, this is what I'm doing. Why do you say this? Our young people are never getting social security, Nolan. They're never getting it unless you elect me president. And that's why I'm running a multitude of reasons. But I seem I, I seem to be uniquely qualified if people want to get pa past the fact that you don't know who I am yet. And that's why we have podcasts. If we want to get beyond this over the next six months, which I will, you will find me the most qualified person running. Um, now, you mentioned healthcare. What do you think? Wh what's your platform on healthcare? I know there are a lot of people who feel that healthcare <laughs> is too expensive. 
Um, what do you believe is the, the solution um, on, just on healthcare in general? What's your position on it? My position is, is simply this. Yes, we are now at 18% of GDP on healthcare. In 1960, America was 5%. Most industrialized countries stop at 12% like Switzerland. So uh, I, people aren't going to want to hear this, but I'm just going to tell you the truth. We have a grossly obese population. Obesity in our country is 40% of cancers. It's 40% of our health care. Ever been to Switzerland? I have. Ever seen people really overweight? And again, I'm not making fun of people, but I'm just telling you that if someone doesn't say that to you, as far as the largest problem that we have to solve, and I'll get to how to solve it, then, then they're lying to you. They're just, just simply lying. I mean, if the debate is going to be Democrats or socialists, they want a complete takeover, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just going to keep saying that as, as a candidate, they should be thrown on it. They should not be able to run in many respects. If, however, we say a combination of best practices, like what happened to my daughter, Audrey, and I, won't, I don't have time to tell you, but she had a massive seizure problem only by seeing the best doctor in the world in Colorado, not at Yale, not at Harvard, was she cured. Okay. The only reason my daughter is alive because I figured out best practices, my wife and I, to keep her alive. She still has cancer. Okay. Eight years of stage four cancer, given six months to live a couple times and was supposed to die on May 14th, 2018 in a hospital bed. And she's at grad school at BU with cancer. So there's a there's someone who should be president right there. She's 25 year old. You know, she's really doing well. But we have to have a, a combination of lowering costs through better practices and some individual responsibility. So let's let's say we take a person who actuarially is a $400,000 a year cost. That insurance company has to be responsible for getting that cost down. And that individual has to be responsible, not on a, a, a just anything you want to charge. We set a cost for people and we get that person down to a $200,000 person, to a $100,000 person. But I got to tell you, Nolan, if people don't want to do it, we can't be giving out knee replacements at the age of 40 for people who are simply overweight. Again, this is not a popular thing to say, and you won't hear people say it. But people know I'm right. And that's, and that's, that's not the complete plan, but that's part of the plan, a two-step plan. But we have to get it down to 12%, and that's where a trillion dollars is. 6%, $23 trillion GPD. We've got to get a trillion dollars back out of the system and put it to much more productive use. By the way, the overuse of drugs is, is incredible. I would bet that 10% of the people who are on Lipitor, Lipitor uh, drug statements have to be on it because of this issue, right? Uh, by the way, some people have to be on these drugs. The second part about healthcare, though, would simply be when the talking lane, when the Tom Cottons of people in my party in 2020 said, oh, Mo, they finally figured out pharmaceuticals were made in communist China. Remember they were going to bring them back? Remember that every week on Maria Bartolomo and all the weekend shows? They're not back. So how can these people keep doing this to people? The, the pharmaceutical industry has to have at least 65% of all these drugs made in North America or in the UK or, or somewhere where we can get them. Why do we think our policy with China is is stifled because they have it over our heads on rare minerals, which we've known about for 20 years, on pharmaceutical drugs, on a whole host of other things that they have it over our head. And we don't make these fundamental changes. That's why 
our country does not directly confront its problems. And we have to. And that's why I'm running. What would you say is uh, the top issue uh, for you uh, on the campaign? I would say, and I know this won't come out exactly what you'll think. I mean, my, if you go to my website, you'll see Social Security. You'll see China. But you know what I really think is the big problem that keeps people like it makes people feel like they're alone is the corruption. I'll give you an example. The PPP program, which every single Republican senator voted for, there were three U.S. US congressmen, House of Representatives who didn't vote for it. The President Trump signed into office. All the governors took the money. Governor of Florida, the governor of Virginia, he wasn't the governor then probably, but all these people took the money. They're all happy to do so. Even NBC says it's one of the biggest per perpetrators of fraud in American history. So, so you have 70,000 cases of fraud, right? Massive corruption. If you were closer to J.P. Morgan, you got a better loan or a quicker loan, right? If you were a law firm, law firms got money. They weren't losing business. If you knew how to game the system, you took the money. All of that went. The whole spending went. And ask yourself this question. The average person got a check for $1,400, right? But he faced $4,000 of increased costs. It just in energy last year. So the middle class again got hosed and corruption runs. I'll give you one other example of corruption. And this is why it's so endemic. The Wall Street Journal ran, I think, four gigantic articles in the last three months about corruption, not about the Federal Reserve members who resigned, who just got to resign over insider trading, not charged, et cetera, et cetera. Another form of corruption. About the over 2,000 people who are head of agencies in Washington who front run trades. So here's the corruption. One, it took the Wall Street Journal two years to get the information. It should have been done in a couple of hours. If you had asked for it, Nolan, you should. It was, it was Freedom of Information Act stuff. They were stonewalled. Two, the real corruption is this. After those articles came out and, and I'm reading them like, what was the answer from the US Senate? Nothing. Crickets. What was the answer from the House of Representatives, from the president? because they're all in on it. In one way or the other, that would show you the corruption. If you look at the last Gallup poll, most people are concerned about government. The question wasn't asked about corruption in government, but people are really concerned, which person running <laughs> who might run from the federal government side wasn't involved in that? None. And so that's the message we got to get out. But corruption, I think, if people thought it was fair, Nolan, they'd be much more likely to participate. I made a movie, Fixing America, which you could watch, you know, it, up on Amazon, just type in Fixing America, Steve Laffey. I made a movie up that was that was right. And, and when you met people on the sides of roads, the reason they felt alone is they felt like they couldn't make a difference. They felt like these corrupt people in Washington. And then when you, by the way, when you're traveling across the country and you're in Youngstown, Ohio, and all of a sudden you get near the beltway, the whole world changes. There were no problems. Everybody was fine. <laughs> I mean, it was really stark. You get within 60 miles of Washington, D.C. It's like, hey, what do you mean? Everything looks good here. This part of Maryland, this part of Virginia. But outside that, people are suffering. All right. So what, what are some of the issues you would focus on in the first 100 days of a Laffey presidency? Yeah, number one would be to make sure that Social Security was fixed. Now, when I say the word fixed, Nolan, people aren't going to come on your show and say fixed. They'll say save, if they say anything. 
But fix is a word I use, like fixing America, my movie, because everybody listening goes, you know, when I when I fixed that carburetor on the car, I had to pay for it, right? So that's why politicians don't use the word fix. So I want to fix Social Security first, because that intergenerational stealing from young people has to stop. And and, and briefly how we do it, we, again, no more executive orders, by the way. <laughs> Just forget this. Like the executive orders get signed, they get rescinded, and nothing changes. We have to go to Congress. I've got to get on a train, a plane, an automobile, not with Steve Martin and the gang, but I've got to get there and go around the country and get people to buy into this program, which is that if you've already retired, you're going to get what you got. If you're 40, we're going to stop where it's zeroed out, where you are, and whatever it says you're going to get, you're going to get. But you're going to go into a new system. And the 20-year-old, who, by the way, the 20 to 40-year-olds who go to see financial planners and they're told they're not going to get Social Security, they don't even plan for it. How would you feel making 50 grand? And you know you're paying three. The employee's playing three. Six grand, never going to see. <laughs> you must feel terrible. But why aren't young people rallying? They will rally this. So a 20-year-old gets in the system. And in that new system, we buy, a, we buy no brokers. We just simply buy a worldwide basket of stocks, bonds, real estate, and so forth. And they have 40 years. But they own it. They can't touch it. So if they die, their ears get it. If they die at 30, they put it. If they get married, they, 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 the wife and the husband, they have half of it each. And then if they get divorced, they split that. And they keep going. You turn 60, 62, we stop buying annuities. Now you don't own the part we buy. You get to be 70, 72. And all those people have a lot more money. A lot more money. I did a paper on this in 1983 at Bowdoin College. Nothing's changed. The lousy returns of Social Security have to stop. And by doing what I just said, now assets and liabilities start to match up over time. The unfunded liability goes down to zero. So we take a $61 trillion problem and we solve it. And Americans feel good about it, even though some people might get less. The 47-year-old might not be in the new system long enough, Nolan, to get as much. But why wouldn't we tell people the truth? Because if we don't do stuff like this, we're down to like two years now. It's over. I mean, the federal deficit of what we borrow at is too high, right? So we borrow from the public $24 trillion, And we can't go back to normal interest rates, can we, at 6%? 6% the last 35 years? What's 0.06 times 24? It's 1.3 something trillion. Oh, it's, 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 it, we can't pay that. So we've got to fix these problems one by one by one. Then we fix the Federal Reserve. But I'll, you asked me, I don't want to I'll give you a <laughs> That's all right. I know. That, that's all right. So I want to ask you about the issue uh, of Ukraine spending. That's a divisive issue in the Republican yeah. Party. One of your opponents, uh, President Trump, uh, has uh, indicated that he would like to uh, decrease or not or, or just completely cease funding to the Ukraine. Uh, another one of your opponents, Nikki Haley, uh, has uh, supported more funding towards the Ukraine. What is your position? Should the United States continue to fund uh, the Ukraine? Yeah, well, the answer is yes. But let me just step back a second, okay? To understand Ukraine and Russia, maybe you had to take two Russian history courses like I did in 1980-81 under our esteemed professor, John Call, because you would then know that, first of all, Ukraine is a country. There's a treaty signed in the 1600s between Ukraine and Russia, everybody knew it was a separate country. So that, again, that falsehood is gone. Two, you have to, when you do when you do anything to do with geopolitics, make sure you study geography. 
These are the two largest land countries in Europe. And the worst geography may be Ukraine, right? Because people in the steppe people from way back have been running over Ukraine, the Cossacks, the whole thing. So, but that doesn't mean, I mean, first of all, Moscow thinks, and they've thought this for years because so many soldiers going toward Moscow died in the winter. They think they have to have that land. They've always thought that. So it was a great mistake after 1991, the Budapest Accords, can imagine that President Trump didn't, hasn't heard of the Budapest Accords. That was the UK, America, and, and Ukraine agreeing that if, if Ukraine gave up its nuclear missiles, which was a third of all the Soviet Union's nuclear missiles in Ukraine, the Ukraine at the time. And, and so we, we guaranteed that they would have their freedom by doing that. We shouldn't have done it that way, but that's a whole thing. So fast forward to all the little things that happened over the years, whether it's in the country of Georgia under George Bush, whether it's what happened with Crimea, all these things were Putin, or it could have been anybody else, attempting to grab the land that they think that they think they need. Believe me, we're never going to change their opinion on it. We're just not. It's been going on for since Ivan the Terrible in the 1500s, through Peter the Great, all the way through the, the, the Lenin. They always think this after World War I, the soldiers came home. So we have to win. The problem in America and the problem with all these coalitions, I can see the frustration already beginning in American public. Since we don't overwhelmingly win, we get bogged down. So NATO, of course, President Trump, by the way, did some good things about trying to get NATO to spend more money on their own defense. But look where our country is today. One of the reasons people say this is that we're lacking munitions. We don't have supplies. We can't take on a two-front war, even if they go into Taiwan to supply Taiwan. We've got like two weeks left of some missiles if we go to a real war, right? So better to say, in my opinion, since we're already there, and unlike Afghanistan, why don't we just say, let's win? Like, what would be wrong with winning? Like, since the Battle of Inchon, why do Americans not want to win or don't require a win? This was George Bush's problem, right? At the very beginning of going into Iraq. His father didn't have the problem. He knew he had to just obliterate people and get out. So I say, yes, we continue to fund, but I would do much, much more without getting, we, we can't go on all day, but I would have done much, much more at the beginning. And I think a coalition of the willing, let me ask you one ask, everybody listen to this one thing though. Do you think that Putin thinks he's not at war with the United States when we supply all the stuff? Because of course he does. When, when Iran killed soldiers and we did nothing about it, with their bombs and, and whatever they put over there in Beirut and all these other places, you know, and that and somehow we think we're not at war with Iran if they put it somewhere, but we, they don't tell us. I think we're actually at war with Iran if they kill some of our soldiers. So that would be a big difference between me and I guess some of the candidates. Fund right. it and let's win it now. I mean, the, these people are bringing like mercenaries. They are, I mean, what we really haven't done, by the way, we, ex, we expose Russia, especially to Germany, who likes to pretend that Russia is so strong because it, because it benefits them. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's too long. No, that's all right. That's all right. So uh, another big issue, uh, big issue right now, as I'm sure you're aware, is the issue of abortion. Mm -hmm. um, there's been a lot of debate uh, amongst Republicans. There are some Republicans that have said uh, that they don't, uh, they, they don't want to touch the current abortion laws. Some have said that it should remain a local issue. Uh, there are many that have said that, uh, at the, that the federal government should try to ban abortion. Do you believe that the federal government should ban abortion? And would a President Laffey, if a bill came on your desk, 
would you sign into law a national abortion ban? No. I, I, by the way, I am stridently pro-life. I'm, I'm an evangelical Christian, and I'm pro-life. So my, my bona fides of that are well-known all the way back from 2005 to today. But what I've always said was that I would pray that Roe versus Wade is overturned, and that way it could be returned to the states, and that way the issue will decline in importance in American. And by the way, the le most recent Gallup poll, it's near the bottom. It's at 3%. Now, in certain states, will it be a big deal forever? It will be. But when it was a national thing in Roe versus Wade, it dominated the conversation. I don't think it, it will anymore. Uh, I feel very badly for people who try to have abortions. I know many people regret it. I, I, we could go on this all day long. It's a tragedy. But I would leave it the way it is right now and watch it gradually decline and let the states who are the testing grounds as the founding fathers wanted, right? So you want to go live in Chicago? Go live in Chicago. I wouldn't do it. You want to live in Mississippi? I love to live in Mississippi. I, I, lived, I lived in Memphis for a, a long time. So you can do this and you can choose based upon their laws and you can choose upon how you'd like to change laws if you move somewhere. So I think it's time to say, for example, let's move on. And here's what I want to say to people. As important abortion is to me, we're not, I just want to be very clear. We're not going to have a country to argue over these things in a couple of years. Can I be stark as this? Like I've said this now, it's coming. I said it like, like Jeremiah in the Old Testament, a secular way. Like it's coming. And people are like, oh, I guess so. No, no. The reason I'm running, it's here. There's no way out of the box unless you get a financial expert, puts the right people in, and explains to people how tough it is to make this turn back to freedom and back to solvency for America. And I'm the only one willing to do it. It's not on Nikki Haley's website. I got it right up there. There's nothing there, but give me money. You can go to my website, stevelaffey.com. You could watch hundreds of hours. You can watch an hour on Ariel Sharon. You can watch me talk about Ariel Sharon after he passed away for an hour. So that's my difference. I actually know this stuff. I've said it a hundred times. I'm not changing my opinion. And I'm going to fix America along the way so that our children can actually have hope. All right. So let's move on to the next issue. Um, inflation is a big issue right now. Sure. Um, uh, you know, lots of people are, are worried about uh, uh, prices rising. Um, what would you do as president to try and get inflation down? Well, there's really one simple thing. And if you hadn't taken an economic course, let me just explain it very simply. Money supply times the velocity of money equals the nominal GDP. So, so when money supply went up 5% from 2012 to 2020 per year, people were like, why are we having inflation? Well, the velocity of money, the turning over of money, went down at 5% per year. We had no inflation. Then, inflate, then money supply went up 20% in two years. We've had 8% inflation. Maybe now it's running at six. So as Milton Friedman said, and no one pays attention anymore, inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Now, are there things exasperated, like union contracts, supply chain issues, and so forth? They do. Sending people checks. So how do we get inflation to zero? Well, folks, go back to Algebra 1. How did you solve for... Uh, Three unknowns with two equations. Well, you really didn't. It's a trick question. So how does the Federal Reserve have a dual mandate? Why? I'll tell you why, but why? It makes no sense. They're supposed to be in charge of inflation and uh, economic growth, keeping employment right going. 
these are two things that don't have anything to do with each other sometimes. They have some to do with each other. There's some truth to the Phillips curve at some rate, but why wouldn't we just do what I say on my website? We change the mandate. The Federal Reserve's job is to keep inflation at zero. Guess what happens? And guess why they don't do it? Because then when the meeting of the Fed Reserve chairman came and said, well, I'm keeping inflation at zero. I've been watching the money supply and the velocity of money, blah, blah, blah. Now fiscal policy is handed over to Congress and they choke. They're actually going to cut spending. There's no more free money. We have a real country again. That's how you get inflation to zero. It's hard medicine. Would it be a would it be a hard transition? Yes. But here's what's about to happen. One of two things. Either the Fed keeps raising rates, by the way, think about it. I dare anybody here to go back and read last year's minutes or go read the minutes of 2007 before the collapse in 2008. I've read them all. No other candidate, I'm sure, has. They never speak about the collapse coming. They speak about specific companies. Read the monetary report of the Federal Reserve and, and, and watch them. Oh, that's right. They never mention money as if it, do, it doesn't count at all. They never mention the word money in a monetary report. They have to put out every three months. I would change that. And I would bring back inflation as the only goal. And I'd make our country sound because for people who, who look at economies, what do we really want? We want long-term investment. Where do we want to get it from? Savings. So if you had inflation at zero and you were certain about it in America and you had these great you know, rule of law, we need a strong dollar. The dollar goes up against other currencies. Then you won't have to worry about owning gold anymore, right? So, but then it, all the foreign investors say to themselves, hey, I got a great idea for a company. I located in America and the currency goes up at 3% versus my currency. I'm living in Japan. I got an 18% return, not 15. That's how investment comes to America. The long-term certainty that inflation's at zero and the dollar's going to be strong. You want manufacturing jobs in America? That's one way to do it. All right. And one more question that I have. Um, if you are not the Republican nominee, do you uh, do you pledge to endorse whoever the Republican nominee is? No. <laughs> I don't know the, why would I pledge to anybody anything? I, I certainly will if it's a normal. Who knows who it's going to be? I certainly would help somebody who's, who's trying to do a good job. It's going to be a lot of candidates. But no, I wouldn't pledge to anybody anything other than, you know, I mean, what, what I pledge to put food on the table tonight for my family. But yeah, but I mean, no, I wouldn't do that. I don't know why people keep, I don't know why people do do that, by the way, especially when you don't know the answer. You could call me in a year and say, you pledged. There's a KKK guy who's taken the, you know, I'm, I'm joking, but what would I say to you? I pledged. By the way, it's sort of like, by the way, Nikki Haley saying, I would never run against the president. You may have, you, you've seen her on tape becomes a really big problem a couple of years later and she doesn't know what a problem it is i feel bad all these people becomes a problem real big problem not my problem i didn't have anything to do with the trump administration didn't work for him didn't do anything and uh, but i wouldn't take any pledges i'd take very few pledges all right well that about wraps up our interview steve laffy thank you again thank for you. joining uh, before you go, do you want to tell people uh, where they yeah. can find you, where they can sure. donate? Go ahead. I'm just going to go to, it's Steve Laffey, S-T-E-V-E-L-A-F-F-E-Y, stevelaffey.com. Go there and, you know, hit the issues page for first. Look at what I'm saying. Go to the other candidates and then go to the contribute page. You know, I mean, check it out. Check out Donald Trump's page. Check out what Nikki Haley, you won't find anything on Nikki Haley's. You won't find anything but give me money. 
So I have hundreds of hours. And remember this, you might disagree with some of what I'm saying, but I'm a Harvard Business School grad. I grew up in the school of hard knocks. I helped run a financial firm. I taught the top finance course at University of Rhode Island. I turned around a city completely with a great team that I put in place that was a city that was bankrupt. I know finance. It's what we need now. And I know how to fix this. And I need your help. SteveLaffey.com. All right. Thank you. The creators of Politics Weekly have a new series now out. The series that has amassed nearly 20,000 listeners is now getting a spin-off on online radio. Politics Weekly Live is a follow-up to Politics Weekly, bringing you more content, live commentary, and the ability to respond to stories live. Politics Weekly Live is available to listen to every Wednesday at 3 p.m. on WPSR, the official radio station of Purchase College, and will be posted wherever you listen to podcasts following recording. Ooh.